Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Well, good morning. Do you have a former student over here today? Hello? Um, All right, so uh, let's go ahead and turn the lights on. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day. I thank you that we're here. I just pray now that you would be with me as I present uh, what we have today. God, I ask that it would be directly from you. Lord, help me to remain faithful to your word and the truths that are there. In Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, so we're starting something new today, okay? We're jumping into the Old Testament, and just to honor the Old Testament, I I, I went all old school. Instead of my my, uh, digital pad up here, I'm like, notes. No, that's not why I did that. Um, All right, so here's the thing. Uh, Preaching out of the Old Testament is not, doesn't fall within my comfort zone, okay? Um, I find it very easy to preach from the New Testament. Uh, When I jump into the Old Testament, sometimes it's, it feels like a challenge, but I'm like, okay, let's, let's tackle this. Um, two, two reasons why. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, now, now these things happen to them, talking about the Old Testament, these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So I think I could very easily say these things are not to be discarded. Could you agree with that statement? Absolutely, right? Now, I know that y'all went, yeah. But let's be honest, do you ever dig into the Old Testament and it feels daunting, <laughs> right? Uh, what is it? I don't know what this is. To- okay, um, I have a little encouragement for you in that regard. Let me share it with you in just a second. Let me share one more New Testament verse. Romans 5.14 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. There's that instruction concept again, that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Okay, so again, two places here in the New Testament says this stuff is for our instruction. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, there's something interesting happened yesterday, okay? So I was digging into this, this particular person I'm going to be talking about, and I'm not going to tell you what his name is. So each week, I'm, going to, I'm picking a different Old Testament character. I'm either going to share a story or something from their life, and I'm going to hear something about them, and I'm going to introduce you to them. So I've got a particular person I'm going to introduce to you this week. He was a shepherd but maybe not a shepherd that you knew about. His name was Amos. And some of you just went, hey, that's a book of the Bible. Good job. Good job. Great job. I'm so glad you knew that one, didn't you? All right, so here we go. Weird thing happened. I'm digging through it, reading this commentary, reading that comment, reading this, studying, reading through Amos again and again. And and I mean, I I usually hit it, you know, once a year as I'm going, trying to read through my Bible every year. And I'll, I'll hit it. So I've read this multiple times. If you would have asked me at the beginning of the week, what's Amos about, I would have gone, about God. <laughs> right. uh, it, it, but then something happening. Something, something happened. Yesterday, I mean, I was getting notes and I had this thing, getting an outline, getting ready to go. I'm like, I'm starting to develop some points and some thoughts. And I'm I'm going to tell you, I'm telling you this for a very particular reason, for your encouragement, okay? All week long, looking at it, finally, Saturday, all of a sudden, Amos started to come alive in my mind, okay? Now, I'm telling you that because of this. I know that many of us, we, 
we would love it if every single time you sat down and opened up a Bible, like every single time it was just like, what? Okay, that doesn't happen. Maybe it might for you, it doesn't for me. Sometimes it requires a little work. And so I think that many of us give up too quickly. I know I have many times in my past where reading through, reading through, just not getting. I mean, I'd read through this multiple times just this week, and I was still, it wasn't just coming alive where I suddenly, and all of a sudden yesterday, boom, it hit me. I mean, the Bible says of itself, it is, it is quick, it's living, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. No other book is like this book. And I'm going to tell you right now, this has nothing to do with what I'm going to preach about in a minute. But if you give up too quickly, you may miss out on some of the things that God might have for you. Does that make sense? So sharing that personal, this is, that's a thing that I knew, had forgotten, and then it happened yesterday, dug in, and boom, it just came all of a sudden. Amos, in my mind, was a real person. He was a real person before, but it came alive. So I'm excited to share the things that I have with you. Let me give you a little bit of background of Amos. Okay, I'm going to share some background information. Got a map up here. Um, don't worry, it's not geometry. It's okay. Uh, so here's, here's some important things you might need to know. Okay, so you recognize this map for the most part. See this, okay, I don't know if I can hold my hand this steady. See this little blue little oblong shape right here? That's the kingdom of Judah. Okay, the kingdom right above it, right here, just this part right there. That's the kingdom of Israel. They were originally together as one kingdom called Israel. King David, King Solomon, after that, it split. Okay, that's not the story for today, so I'm not going to get into why all that happened, but, but it split. Ten tribes of Israel, there's 12 tribes, 10 of them were part of this northern kingdom of Israel. Two were part of the southern kingdom, okay? Um, this map represents approximately what it was like during the time of Amos, about 750, 760 B.C., okay, about... So about 750 years before Christ came. Uh, Notice this giant kingdom here. See this? That's Assyria. See this one right here? That's that's, Assyria with the capital of Damascus. And so sometimes it goes by Damascus. Um, There's some kingdoms along the side here of the Philistines. They don't have them listed here. Then we got Egypt down here. But here's the thing. The big world dominant power for the Israelites, who do you think it was at this time? Assyria, okay? If you know your Bible history, you know that plays a huge part into what happened into later events. So here we have this northern kingdom, southern kingdom. The northern king at this time is a guy named Jeroboam. Um, It's actually Jeroboam II. There was a first Jeroboam. This is the second one. Um, And the southern kingdom is the king Uzziah. Uh, We're going to read about an earthquake that happened, and it's actually a point of reference uh, for... (laughs) The, the writer of Amos, when Amos wrote this, he said, these are the things that happened about two years before this earthquake. And the people that would have read it would have gone, oh, I remember that earthquake. Okay, so that's why that's in there. Um, that same earthquake is mentioned in Zechariah, mentions the same one. Just before the writing of Amos and Amos's events, there was another prophet that you may have heard of um, named Jonah. You guys heard of Jonah, right? Jonah went to, ultimately, after a little sidetrack, his little famous sidetrack, went to the kingdom of Assyria, the capital city of Nineveh. And when he gets to Nineveh, what happens in Nineveh? He goes and he preaches the gospel, seemingly reluctantly. 
But what do the Ninevites do? For those of you that know the history, what, what do the Ninevites do? They repent. Now, the, the Assyrians were, in their conquering before this, and this is the reason why Jonah didn't want to go, the Assyrians were the type that when they conquered a city, they would then uh, flay their enemies that were still alive, peel the skin off them, and hang them on the outside of the walls of a city that they conquered. That's the Assyrians. So when, when God told Jonah, go to the Assyrians, Jonah was like, I'd rather they just died. Okay, you know, God, said, God, said, God said, I want you to go and preach to them so that they might repent. And Jonah's like, I don't want them to repent. I want you to get them, God, go get them. And, and, but Jonah finally does. He preaches and they repent. So what you see in the story of Amos is a story of a, a time period of prosperity partly connected to the fact that their enemies had repented of how they were living, that capital city, and they weren't invading at the time. And so Israel, the northern kingdom, who's kind of the buffer between Judah and Assyria and this other kingdom right here of Damascus. In fact, Israel at this time had redominated uh, this Syrian area of Damascus, and the, the people from Damascus were serving to an extent the Israelites, paying you know, taxes to them, that sort of thing. Now, so there's prosperity in connection with Jonah. So Amos comes along right in the middle of this time where there's a lot of good, easy living happening, okay? That sets up the basic idea. Let me tell you one more thing about the northern kingdom that is gonna play a role in understanding what happens in Amos. Do you remember way back when the Israelites first came out of Egypt, Moses goes up on top of a mountain to get the Ten Commandments. Israelites were down there. Moses was taking a long time, and the, the, the Israelites decided to do something pretty nuts. Does anybody remember that story? What did they do? Made a golden calf. I, I always read that and I think, well, that's crazy, especially if you dig into what actually happened. Moses is up there. There's a big cloud. There's lightning and all this kind of going on, and they're down here like, man, he's taking a long time, and they, they, they make this golden calf. But funny little side part, Aaron, when he has to explain it later, Moses says, what happened? And Aaron's like, we got all the gold together. I put it in the fire and out popped a cow. I mean, that's what, literally what it says. He says, out popped this calf. And I'm like, yeah, okay, Aaron. Um, but so, but they, they, they do this. But then you know what they do when they're, they're singing to it? Moses, or, or I'm sorry, Aaron actually says to the Israelites, Moses is still up there. Aaron actually says to the Israelites, behold your God, the Lord. And he uses the word Jehovah. Now, now th think about that, because that, that might seem crazy to us, but you know what they've done in this moment? Now, they, they all grew up in Egypt, all those people. They were always saying, okay, God, we're gonna represent him with the statue here. We're gonna represent God with the statue here. This is the way religion is done. That's how they saw it. And so one of the first things they do when they don't have Moses telling them what to do, they go, well, let's, let's decide for ourselves how, how religion ought to happen, how the worship of God ought to happen. We're gonna, we're gonna do it this way. It's not like they came up with something completely new. They just said, in fact, they looked, this is Jehovah, Yahweh. This is God. We're going to paint a picture of him that, that suits us. Years later, when those kingdoms split, the first Jeroboam actually, I mean, that, that, that one was destroyed, gone. That first Jeroboam, and this is hundreds of years later, that first Jeroboam of the northern kingdom, he actually constructs, has some priests construct two golden calves, one at each end of his 
thing. And he says, this is the Lord. And it says it again. See, they couldn't get down to where the, the temple was. And he didn't want people to, to go worship God the way that God had prescribed. So he said, let's, let's decide how God will be worshiped. And so these golden calves return. You're gonna hear them mentioned in Amos indirectly because of the two cities where he'd placed them. So you're gonna hear this. I wanna point that out later. All right, so that's the background of where Amos is at. Final thing about Amos as we get into it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something else a little bit different today that I don't normally do. I'm gonna require, I didn't put the scriptures up here. I told you this a couple weeks ago. You're gonna have to find a Bible. Now, I'm fine if you wanna grab your phone and say, I don't have it, I'm just pull it up on my phone. That's fine. I want you to look now, if you go, I don't have one. There's some under the seats. The, the thicker ones have the full Bible. I want you to look, because you're gonna to need to look. I want you to look at some of these passages of scripture. I'm going full on teacher on you today, okay? So pop that Bible out, find Amos. If you can't find it, ask somebody around you. Where's it at? If you need a Bible, look around. There's some in here. We got one. Oh, look right here. Found one. Don't be shy, people. You can get up and get a Bible. Anybody need it? Here, somebody want this one? There we go. Find Amos. Look around in those seats in front of you. You're going to miss out. All right. Say, everybody looking for Amos now? Like I said, I don't mind you want to use your phone. Find it on there. I'm going to read the passage to you, but I want you to try to dig into this, okay? Because I, I, I hope that what happened to me yesterday might happen for you today. So in Amos, it starts off chapter 1. Amos starts off and he says, the, it says, the words of Amos who was among the shepherds of Tekoa. So Amos, one of the few prophets that talks about what he did before he was a prophet. Amos was a shepherd, which is why I had this picture. Amos is just your run-of-the-mill, average sort of guy, a shepherd. He's from a city called Tekoa, which is south of Jerusalem. Uh, these are the things that he, this shepherd, wrote concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Verse two, and he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like the little guy out in your job and you guys are like, oh, that's all of us, right? Well, out in our job, this rain, here we are in the middle of this huge country, out in our job. You ever look at what's happening and mourn? You might be a lot more like Amos than you realize. Can you see him out there on the side of the hill? Knowing, hearing about the news, what's happening? And mourn. He jumps into some consequences. Now, so hopefully if you have your Bibles, I want you to look in chapter one, verse three. Amos then begins to pronounce some judgments on some different surrounding areas. And what I'd like you to do, class, is to look in there. I want you to tell me, what's the first one What's the first place? I'm gonna give you a little hint. This verse might be tough for you. It's in verse three. It says, thus says the Lord. And you're gonna see a phrase that keeps being repeated. For three transgressions of, 
Damascus. Where was Damascus was the capital? Some some of you, I, I saw something happen. It's starting to happen right now. I saw some of you go, oh, Damascus, I heard that one before. I know. What, what was it the capital of? Syria. Good job, class. Should have brought some candy. Okay. Now the phrase keeps happening. For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke punishment. And it's like a way of saying for the multiplication, because, because you've done these, it's multiplied. You've, 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 here's, the, here's the crimes you've committed. And then he goes in to describe the crimes. Go down to verse six. There's an, the next place. What's the next one, class? Gaza. You might be going, oh, that one's still around today, right? That's along the side. Gaza was, had to do with the capital of the Philistines along the edge, along the coast. Okay, go down to verse nine. For three transgressions of Tyre. Tyre is northern. There's actually, you can actually see it up there. Um, Tyre and Sidon are the capitals of this uh, area right along this side. Um, let's see here. Verse, chapter one, verse 11. Three transgressions of, yeah, Adam or Edom, either way. But they were the descendants of Esau. Remember Jacob and Esau, brothers? Um, that's them. They're down. Uh, I don't think they're on the map, but they would be down in this area right here. Um, have you ever seen uh, the picture of that? It looks like a, the front of a building that's been carved directly into the side of a cliff. They use it in um, that movie. Yeah, Indiana Jones. Uh, I, that's down in that area. Um, quite possibly Edomites had lived and built that, um, if I'm getting my history right off the record. Okay. Um, how about verse 13? Ammonites, chapter 2, verse 1, there's another one. Moab, the Moabites, you probably heard of something. Now, here's the thing. Each one of these, if you go through these crimes, each one of these you see, the crimes that are played out all have to do with what we would consider violent crimes or possibly even war crimes. Violent acts that they've committed. And God says again and again through Amos, for three, for four, I'm not going to revoke punishment. I'm not going to revoke punishment. I'm not going to revoke punishment. Now look down to chapter 2, verse 4. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah. Oh, so what's God done? He's going all the way around. They deserve it. And can you imagine one of them at this time going, yeah, yeah. Yeah, get him, Lord. Yeah, get him. Yeah, they're bad, Lord. Get him, get him. All these things, all the way around them. And then since Amos has gone to the Israelites, they might have been even a little bit happy that, oh, and Judah. Well, we don't like them either. But listen to what Amos says their crime is. <clears throat> for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. And before I go any further, I think we have our first principle that's going to be played out through the rest of the book of Amos. First preached principle from this pasture prophet, sin is sin. Maybe we could tack on the after that, is sin. All these violent crimes and, and the, the same phraseology used again and again. For three, I'm, and for four, I'm not going to revoke punishment. For three, for four, I'm not going to revoke because you've multiplied your 
sins, your crimes. I'm not going to revoke punishment. All around these people and 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 these people. And it gets a little bit closer. Judah, these people, but their crimes, instead of listening off war crimes, they just forgot God and stopped being obedient to his statutes. And for them, I'm not going to revoke punishment either. Could, could you feel yourself as maybe the recipients of this up in Israel start to get a little uncomfortable at this Amos from Judah pronouncing these things? Go to verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6. And here it comes, the whole rest of the book. He has gone to Israel. Verse 6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not revoke punishment. Their crimes listed here from verses 6 down to 8 have to do with social injustice, taking advantage of the poor, ignoring the afflicted, but also sexual sin and idolatry, which if you remember their idolatry was an idolatry not just of random gods, but of defining God the way they would have God be defined in their own terms, those golden calves that we talked about. Even for you, Israel, Amos says, you're not innocent either. Now, verse 9 of chapter 2 shifts gears a little bit. God speaking through Amos says, I'm going to read verses 9 through 11. If you want to follow along. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them. The, the, Amor, the, the people that he's going to mention here were people that were in the land that were enemies that God helped them overcome. It was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, who, whose height was like the height of the cedars and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also, it was I who, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised some of your sons for prophets. Some of your kids I, 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 I used as, as prophets for your own people. And some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? In other words, God is saying, I was good to you. The second preached principle, this pasture prophet. Our sin stands, I think, in sharp contrast to God's grace. I think that many of us know this thing. Many of us that, that, that go in the direction of the sinful choices we make, we, we still, you woke up today and you, 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 know, you did something that was a gift from God, you went, Most of you were probably on a soft pillow. Most of you were able to get up and move around and to breathe and to talk and to, to have breakfast. And, and then you look out and you, there's a sunshine outside that, that God, again, each and every day, I think he says, come on, son, let's do it again. Right? God has been good. God's grace extends God is good. 
And so Amos immediately goes to that. He says, God has been good to you, but you, this is what you did. But it stands in contrast. It's not like God was bad to you, and that's why you went this way. God had been good when you went this way. Verses 12 through 16, the end of chapter 2, starts to unfold what this judgment will look like. Chapter 3 starts with a bunch of rhetorical questions. You guys know what rhetorical questions are? They're questions where the answer is obvious, okay? The answer in this case is going to be a resounding no. So I'm going to read some of these questions, these rhetorical questions. I want you guys to answer me um, with the answer no. So let's go to verse 3 of chapter 3. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? No. Now, I, I know. I've taught high school for a long time. You know, something that high school students do, they find the one way where that wouldn't be true. And some of you are like that. You're probably thinking about the one way. Well, actually, if you, okay, in general, <laughs> right? High school kid. You were doing it too, weren't you? You guys were thinking it. I knew it. I knew it. Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Okay, you guys are having trouble with the concept here. <laughs> I know it's an obvious no, but we still want you to say it, okay? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? No. Um, now, as, as we go through these, if you, if you want to, you can add, when you say the word no, you can add a little bit of like a duh kind of no, like no, okay, if you want to add a little bit of that. Um, does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? No. no. Okay, good. You guys are getting it? Okay. Uh, does a bird fall in a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? No. Um, <clears throat> oh, I just lost my place. Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? No. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? No. Now, listen carefully to this next one. And you don't have to answer after this one. I want you to actually, with this one, I'm going to read the question. I want you to know the answer in your mind, in your heart, but I want you to let it permeate in a little bit because that's what Amos is doing. What about this? No, 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 obviously no, no, no. Then he says this one next. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? The answer, because what Amos has done leading up to this, is a resounding no. You see disaster, come to a city, come to a place, come to a people. Is that disassociated from what God is doing? No, it is not. Verse seven, for the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants. The prophets is what he says next. These prophets, these spokespersons is what that word prophet means, spokespeople. God often accomplishes his judgment via the deeds of the godless pagan people around. And this is where Amos is headed with these things. Now, verse 8 to chapter 4 becomes a call to listen, to hear. Do you remember those golden calves I mentioned earlier? Remember them? I want you to go to chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, because as he's laying out, these concepts of 
what they're doing that is wrong, their, their failure to recognize what God is doing. In fact, their failure to recognize even disaster as it begins to strike. <clears throat> Chapter four, verses four and five say, come to Bethel and transgress. Now, Bethel was, guess what? The home of a golden cow. This would be the equivalent of me saying, go to church and transgress. There's something very wrong with the worship in Israel. Come to Bethel and transgress. Go to Gilgal, the other place, and, and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is loving and, and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them. For so you love to do, O people of Israel. Can you sense beginning, can you sense the disdain that God has for how they've chosen to worship him? He shifts back again. We go to, we're sticking to chapter four, starting with verse seven. Verse seven says, I also withheld the rain from you. Okay, now he's gonna start to shift into some, some difficulties of life that have happened to the Israelites. Now, I don't have time to read all this, but I want you to notice at the end of verse eight, it says, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. So, so the purpose then, God withholds some rain. Then. Okay, the, so the, the, just thinking back to how God has been gracious, wasn't enough to do this. Knowing that disaster is about to strike, not enough to do this. And God says, I've done some other things. Remember when you guys didn't have rain? That, that difficult time you went through? I mean, for a, our agricultural society, that would have been really significant. Remember that time? God's purpose then was for them to turn to him in, in the middle of that. And what does he say? Yet you did not return to me. Verse nine, I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured, yet you did not return to me. Let me give this one before we go any further, going back to that verses four and five. Their worship, let's see, some of those things that it said, bringing tithes every three days, sacrifices every morning, sacrifices of thanksgiving, proclaiming free will offerings, publishing them, loving to do it. God did not see any of those things as a return to him because as soon as he talks about this, he turns around and he says, I did this, you didn't return to me. I did this, you didn't return to me. They were doing these things. Third preached principle from this pasture prophet. Mere ritual is not pleasing to God. This is another, you're gonna see this carried through the rest of this book. Just mere ritual. The, the Israelites saw God as this vain king that could be appeased. Like God was some nimwit that you go, oh man, God's getting upset. Praise you. Okay, you get rain again. Isn't God's fooled by those things? Absolutely not. Mere ritual, getting the actions down right. And, and I know that this might strike a chord because some of us, we, we try to get, the, that's what we do when we, we think God might be upset with us. Like we, we might be hearing some of this going, yeah. And when the bad things happen, I kind of know God's trying to get my attention. And what do you do? You go, okay, I need to pray. Dear God, please be with this. Or I'm going to read my Bible and, and I'll go to church and, and sing. And 
if you're doing that because you think God is this empty God that you can just appease, he is not fooled, even in the least. The psalmist says to obey is better than sacrifice. Now, back to these other things. Verse 10, I sent among you pestilence after the manner of Egypt, the same things that we did to the Egyptians. Into verse 10, yet you did not return to me. Verse 11, I overthrew some of you. Into verse 11, yet you did not return to me. Verse 12, verse 12. Therefore, because you have not returned to me, implied, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. He's been ringing the phone, knocking on the door, shaking the signposts, and you have not responded. I wonder if some of you are going, or might be even sitting here right now going, that kind of describes my life. This thing has happened, and this thing has happened, and maybe it was, maybe it was good things that God had provided back in the day, and I've and I kind of, I'm really thinking about those, but then this bad thing here and this bad thing here, this bad thing. And this applies to us. This is a great principle. It applies to people, to, to people groups, to whole nations. God's. At some point, he says, because you haven't done this and you haven't done this and, you, and I've done this and you didn't return. I did this, you didn't return. I did this, you didn't return. Prepare to meet your God. For behold, verse 13, he who forms the mountains and and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, like he knows exactly. I can tell you what you're thinking. I can declare to you the deepest, deepest depths of your thought process. who makes the morning darkness and and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. That's the God, not the golden cow that you've painted God to be. The God who said, let there be light. The God who said, sun, exist. The one that said, moon, exist. The one that said stars exist. One who said, let all the animals come into being. That God, not the one that you've painted him to be, not big grandpa God up there maybe that has the gray beard like this sitting up there. Oh, it's okay, kids. Not that guy. God. Maybe he's, come on, wake up. Fourth preached principle of this pasture prophet. I borrowed this one from a, a man who wrote a book called All the Men of the Bible. He has this, and, and, and he's, he's uh, everybody in the Bible has got all the men of the Bible, and he's got all the women of the Bible. And, and one of the things he said about the book of Amos, a principle that he said you can find in there, and I totally agree with him, so I borrowed his wording. God's dealings with men are for their discipline, not their doom. Discipline, however, if unheeded, 
only hastens doom and determines destiny. I think you're going to see that next because this unheeded discipline. Come on, God is, you're going to meet your God. Because the very next thing we see in chapter 5 is now a call to seek and live. In fact, I'm going to give you the principle before I show you the references. The fifth preached principle of this pastor prophet no matter what the situation, when it comes to you, when it comes to you, and, it, and the idea of when, like when the light bulb comes on, when, it, when you come to yourself, as it talks about like the, the prodigal son and, and the pigsty, and, and Jesus says, and he came to himself, right? When it comes to you, you, oh, wait a minute. No matter what the situation, when it comes to you, there's one right response. Seek the Lord, and he will live, and you will live. Look at chapter five, verse four. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. Even after all those things he's already said, he said, then I did these other things and he he still didn't return. He still again says, even now, seek me and live. Verse six, seek the Lord and live. Go down to end of chapter five, Verse 14, seek good and not evil that you may live so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hey, evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may may be. It may be the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. No matter where you're at, when it comes to you, it may be that you will live if you seek the Lord. Chapter 5 ends after that with, there's going to be wailing. You can see it in verse 16. In all the squares, there should be wailing. Verse 18 then shifts to another group because I think that in any group of people, you have those And I think even in our country today, you have those that maybe they've been a little bit more aware. Maybe they've seen, and they go, this is this. And then they start to go, they they see something bad happen, and they go, get them, God. Oh, let your judgment pour down. Listen to what Amos says to this group. Verse 18. Woe to you, who desire the day of the Lord. You ought not to be that way. You ought to be of the type that says, God, be gracious even yet again. It may be that maybe even through this, those that have turned away from you may turn back. Don't try to rush in the day of the Lord. Throughout the Bible, from beginning to end, when you hear the phrase, the day of the Lord, you get this idea of the word, the, the dreadful day of the Lord. Because when he comes, that's what it will be. The great and terrible day of the Lord is an accurate depiction from the scriptures. Listen to what it says right here. Verse 18, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? 
don't usher it in. He shifts again, verse 21. This is a resounding implication of their worship in Israel. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. Even their singing, he says, You think maybe you've done your part and think mere ritual, again, is not what God is looking for. Take away from me the noise of your songs the, to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Chapter six comes in. Do you remember this was a time of prosperity? There were people who were at ease, and that's what chapter six starts with. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, those who feel secure on the mountains of Samaria. Verse four, woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp. And like David invent for themselves instruments of music who drink wine and bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. So there were people. And you remember some of the crimes that the Israelites had committed, this northern kingdom was a failure to, to look after the poor and the afflicted. I mean, there was, so there were still people that were living in these situations and part of the indictment against them was you have failed all in this time of prosperity. Another principle that you can hear through this preaching pastor prophet Prosperity, and this is played out once again through the rest of this book, prosperity can and will be a greater peril than poverty. That's a huge biblical principle. Sometimes prosperity can be more of a stumbling block. Doesn't have to be, does it? But most of us know exactly that it is because we've experienced it. The times when things are going smooth, you start to forget. You're God. It can be a greater peril, a cautionary issue. Chapter seven starts off with a series of visions that he has about what this destruction is going to look like, that it is going to happen. Get down to chapter seven, verses 10 through 17. There's a bit of a story here. I'm gonna read a little bit of it. It says, then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. So they start talking about, hey, this Amos is up here preaching. Amaziah, this, this priest in Bethel, this priest of one of these golden cows, says, Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is the temple of the kingdom. And Amos answers and says to Amaziah, this trained priest, he says, and I love the mental images conjures. I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son. But I was a herdsman. I was a dresser of uh, sycamore figs. So, I mean, he's, he's like, I was a farmer. 
I almost can hear him saying, adding on to that, you think I wanted to do this? I was having a great time. Shepherd in the flock, tending the sycamores. Great, great produce this year. We're doing great. The, the yield is wonderful. God says, go up there and start preaching. And then he's up there and these people are rejecting him. And the rejection at this point looks like simply them saying, stop talking to us, Amos. The Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel. Do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, the Lord says, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel will surely go into exile away from its land. Very first prophet to prophesy that Israel will be exiled by the Assyrians happened right there. Amos said, you don't wanna hear the preaching? I'll tell you what, God's gonna take you away. Chapter eight rolls in. This destruction will come and it does. We have the history, know that these things come to pass. Chapter nine, let's skip over to chapter nine because there's one more piece of information that happens before he is done. Because he goes into this great destruction, it's going to be, you're going to be hauled away. But even then, hope. There's a glimmer. If you blink, you'll miss it. Oh, chapter five. Good. No, chapter, chapter nine. Um, verse 11. Um, literally, chapter nine, verse 11. Uh, if you go down, and if you blink, you'll miss it. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen. Now, David, David was the king of the united two kingdoms together, not the king of Israel. This odd phrasing. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen. You're getting right here, there's, there's a glimmer. When you hear David in the future, not thinking about the David in the past, but the booth of David, the house of David, the family of David. Those of you that are well-trained in biblical ideas, who starts to come to your mind? Jesus. Jesus. I tell you what, the Old, the Old Testament is filled with glimmers of the hope Christ coming. What's it say? In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches, raise up its ruins and rebuild it as, it, as in the days of old and uh, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, which some, like the, the Greek version of this actually has the, the remnant of mankind and all the nations who were called, all the nations who are called by my name, all of them that are called by my name. This is something bigger. There may be a sense of this where, where they may have heard this and it is true that God brings them back out of captivity from Assyria. That eventually does happen and, and God brings them back. Read Ezra and Nehemiah, the, the kingdom of Israel comes back and they rebuild the temple and they do all these things. And there's, there's, I mean, that's what Jesus is born into and to that nation right there. But maybe there's something bigger. In fact, 
just to show you, to prove to you absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt that Amos, even if he didn't realize it, was speaking about something bigger and grander. I think that he saw that God gave him a glimpse of the future. And yes, there's this return from captivity, but I think that God was letting him see something even bigger beyond that. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, you're going to hear a glimpse of what is a Jerusalem council where these first Christians who were all all 12 disciples, they were all Jewish people. But God has started showing them that this this new thing that he's doing is, is for the whole globe. Be thankful, it's us too, right? Gentile alike. And this, this new bigger thing, that when Jesus was saying, uh, when Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. He wasn't talking about an actual physical temple, was he? What was he talking about? Himself. Then now worship to God will be through him. And it's gonna be for everyone. All nations, Amos said, so then the, the, those early Christians, they started having a, they, they had a little council, they came together. They said, they, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Does this mean, really? Everybody, like this is it? This is everybody at this point? And so they're debating. Paul was there. Peter was there. They're, they're talking about what God is doing, some evidences. But then one person stands up, the physical earthly brother of Christ, who wasn't a believer, but now is, stands up in this council and he quotes scripture And he quotes Amos. Listen to what he says. Go to Acts chapter 15, verse 15. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Now, if you kept a finger over there with Amos 9, 11, and 12, this is going to sound very familiar. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Amos looked past. Just this, not just them coming back, but he saw that there was this future where God, the new thing he was going to do, was going to open up salvation to all of mankind. Let's put this last preached principle, the seventh preached principle from this pasture prophet. True hope is found in Christ alone. Even back then, the hope that they looked forward to was found in Christ. They didn't have the fullness of the story, but I'll tell you what, you do. You do. You have no excuse because you have the fullness of this story has been revealed. I want to pray, but before I do, let's look back through these and consider the principles that we can learn from Amos. This shepherd who was having a great time out in the fields, tending his flock, making sure the sycamore trees were being tended to and 
Um, the word that's actually used is only used uh, one other time in the Bible to describe him as a shepherd. It actually says herdsman, which means he was probably one that was over multiple flocks and making sure that the breeding was going on and that they were getting the best possible. I mean, he was managing these things, doing very well for himself. And God said, I've got something for you to do. Israel needs to know, again, they're about to meet their God. And these principles we can learn even today, because Paul says these things were written for our instruction. These principles apply big to people groups, but I believe they also apply as principles to you. Sin is sin. Our sin stands in contrast to God's good grace. God has been good to you, and you know it. Mere ritual is not pleasing to God. You're not going to sway him by going through the motions. God's dealings with men are for their discipline, not their doom. Those things start to happen. Maybe you've had some things happen. Maybe they've been seemingly little things. Maybe they seemed random. For me, it's always my car breaking down. That's not for your doom. God's not going, squish. <laughs> Got him. Right? What's he doing? He's trying to get your attention. Let's shake things up a little bit. Right? You're sitting there on your Etch-a-Sketch trying to get your life perfectly in order, and he comes along and shakes it on you. Discipline, however, of unheeded only hastens doom and determines destiny. No matter what the situation, when it, comes to, when it comes to you, when you come to yourself, seek the Lord and live. Put that simply. All your days... Seek, just seek him, seek him. Learn more about him. Seek to discover and look for him in everything. Seek the Lord and live. Prosperity can and will be a greater peril than poverty if you've grown comfortable. And finally, true hope is found ultimately in Christ alone. God has sent a savior for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Amos, God, for his willingness to leave the flock, leave the tending of sheep and the, the growing of the sycamore trees. Lord, thank you for using Amos to then go, preach your word, preach the truth, say the hard truths, and to write them down so that here we are, almost 3,000 years later, from Amos, reading his words, learning from those principles. I pray for those in this room who you have been shaking up their life. God, I pray that they will come to themselves, seek the Lord, and live. I thank you that ultimately we have a great Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, died on the cross for our sins, according to the scriptures, and has built a new kingdom 
bigger, better than any that has ever been, the kingdom of heaven in this earth. I praise you for him and all that he's doing even today. In Christ's name, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed.